Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I am joined by Riley Morton. He's a freelance documentary producer and cinematographer for about 20 years now, working on projects of all kinds and producing many of his own as well. He started in the adventure sports space, producing documentaries and television about climbing, skiing, trail running, adventure travel. And then for the last decade, he's done more general documentary work, documenting his own piece about the politics of cannabis in Evergreen, which came out in 2013, and examining the public health crisis at the intersection of homelessness and COVID-19 for Soledad O'Brien Productions just last year. And he's behind a brand new gorgeous streaming app that's called Endless Earth. Thanks so much for joining me, Riley. Oh, great. Thanks for having me. This is great. Now, Riley, not included in this bio is that you were my video productions partner in high school. I didn't I didn't include that in the bio. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have had that up top. I feel like it obviously set you up for greatness. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, those were good times. That was a long time ago. We won't go into how long, but... Um... Mm-hmm. Yeah, great memories of of those projects and uh, those times. Yes, all we need to say really is that probably all of the techniques that we learned about editing would be null and void completely by now. Yeah, great point. Absolutely. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of it in those terms. (laughs) Well, it's sort of the equivalent of I got into radio right after the station that I worked at just stopped cutting tape with a razor blade and had just made the change to digital. Mm Mm-hmm. And we were kind of the equivalent of cutting videotape with a razor blade, if such a thing existed. That's right. Yeah, those old tape to tape machines. Yeah. And that's an excellent point. You know, my, you know, you mentioned my career. My timing was fantastic in the sense that I graduated, you know, 98, 99, right as sort of desktop publishing revolution came to video. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to sort of focus my camera lens on these super niche sports you know, and do these projects for sort of cheap, just bootstrapping them. And it was really because for the first time that the tools were available cheaply. And yeah. so I'm very lucky timing wise. And uh, and you might have benefited as being sort of young and sort of able to think laterally, learn new software in your radio jobs. I don't know. I mean, the program that I learned digital editing on was so cumbersome that nobody has ever heard of it, for one, <laughs> because it was just the worst program counterintuitive to learn yeah as soon as anything better came out they got rid of it but at the time of course after painstakingly learning it I was kind of upset that they were getting rid of it because it was so hard to learn (laughs) oh now I have to learn something else Uh, but luckily digital editing these days is just so much easier than it was then but you're joining me to talk about travel and since we were just talking about your nimbleness of being able to use these technologies to get out there why adventure travel as your starting point as a filmmaker? That was always just an area of interest for me as a teen and young adult. Uh, It was very clear to me that sort of wilderness and the wild spaces of the world were are places of great solace, my church, if you will. And I I had a, I was lucky to have clarity on that early in my life. And I kind of wanted to, to share that with the world and to whatever extent I could. And I was aware that that was a possible career, you know, that that there was an audience for, for stories about people doing fascinating things in the mountains. And so 
decided to uh, to throw my hat in the ring there. Use these sort of low budget tools to maybe tell a new kind of lower end, closer to the ground story than had been before. And where were you? Were you mostly working in the United States at that point? For the most part, you know, I, uh, uh, I did, my first couple films were moving around the Western U.S. and Canada, uh, documenting ski bum culture and snowboard culture in yeah the ski resorts of the West. You know, focusing on locals, dirtbag skiers that that ski every day. And then yeah, kind of got in this climbing. Got connected with International Mountain Guides, and they took me to Everest in 2001, 2002. And yeah, in those days, I was also doing a lot of freelance work. You know, a lot of the jobs were international and, and travel. The last 10 years or so, the, the transition, I actually really noticed a pretty clear distinction. In, in 2008, the economic crisis, really, I stayed busy. My freelance work continued to grow, but the international travel fell off a cliff. And I realized, oh, wow, if I do want to travel, that was another reason I got into documentary and shooting video and producing stories was I, I saw it as an opportunity to travel myself and be on a footing with people that are interesting to, to speak with, the, the people that you're telling stories about. The camera, as you're probably aware of with a microphone, is just a kind of an access point. You're able to get in and have somebody of, of great interest to you spend a couple hours because you're helping them tell their story. And that's just an amazing access point. So I feel like I'm rambling uh, about two different subjects. but No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, that is one of the best things about having a microphone as well, is you get to just ask people that about their lives, you know, and, That's right. and discover new things about your own. You know, actually, on a side tangent, if we're going down side tangents here, you were one of the first people I think I knew who basically decided to put your life on hold for a year and just travel around the world. Yeah. When did you do that? That was 2010, 2011. And it was kind of related to what I was just speaking about there that, yeah, it was kind of becoming clear that the travel jobs were falling away. I was continuing to do fine at work, you know, but most of my clients were now in the Seattle area or California, kind of domestic. And so, oh, wow, if I want to continue to travel at this level that I am, which is like, to me, it seems to be six or eight weeks a year is sort of a, what I need to, to feel happy about that. And uh, we're going to have to motivate ourselves. And so, yeah, convinced my sweetie to quit our uh, respective contracts and jobs and uh, rent our house out for a year. And we spent 10 months uh, traveling uh, around the world, starting in Australia, New Zealand, and then continuing on through Asia and a little bit of Europe. And yeah, it was mostly Asia. It was great. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So over the 20 years or so that you've been doing this for a living, Obviously, when you began, social media did not exist as a part of what is telling the travel story. Yeah. And now it's such a prominent player, you know, especially when it comes to Instagram, I think. But how would you say from what you've observed that social media has either affected you as a filmmaker or affected travel in general? Great question. It's a tough one. I'm not sure I'll be able to answer that in its completeness. But first of all, I do feel lucky to have sort of discovered travel and the joys of a lot of these sort of mountain sports before the internet. I mean, it was existed, but not in a way that it does now. And, you know, smartphones and social media, I think, contribute to this just next levelness. And yeah, it's clear to anybody paying attention that it's changed everything in, in almost every category, travel included. I mean, the most obvious one is you just see people on their smartphones all the time when you are traveling, other travelers, where that was not an issue. You know, you would you would see people carrying around cameras and using, you know, that screen or way to sort of interpret the landscape. But now it's clear that a great majority of travelers are interpreting the landscape through the technology in their pocket. To me, it's just an extra layer of distraction from the reason we come to these places in the first place. And it kind of makes me question the motives of many of these travelers. Are you really here to have a genuine experience 
or are you really here for the photo? Like, I hate that part of it, too, that that question is in my brain. So um, the hostel scene in the evening is sort of less vibrant. People are more on their phones and laptops. And so that is a, a shift that I don't see as being a, a positive one. Obviously, there's incredible access to information. If you need to know about a great bar in a new city, that's totally possible now where it wasn't as easy 10 years ago. But we lose something in the meantime, right? The, the sort of serendipity of, oh, my God, this place is great. I had no expectation, you know, where that would happen with some regularity. I feel like before uh, cell phones, now it's like almost the expectation is that every place you land is going to be great because you've researched it ahead of time. Mm. But what about, I know that some people would consider it an art form, like they are capturing the place, you know, with their photography, which is something that you do as a filmmaker. So 100%. It is an art form, without a doubt. Instagram, I use it and it's a beautiful format and there's some really talented photographers that are using that. And another thing that's wonderful about it is it it's a, uh, to a certain extent, it can be a meritocracy. Great undiscovered photographers are able to use Instagram to make a photography career out of nowhere because they clearly have the talent. But I got to be honest that I feel uh, in my heart of hearts that the, it's the minority of, of users that are, that that describes, you know, uh, that most people are there for the photo. So maybe I'm revealing my you know, judgment here. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of positivity. I love photography as a medium. I feel like there's too much of it in the world. And that maybe even leads into endless earth in a way like I feel like we need more curation. There's so much noise. We're just being assaulted by so much imagery all the time that it's overwhelming. And a lot of us sort of turn away from it. And so I don't know, one of the ways forward, I feel like is through being thoughtful and deliberate about what type of media you want to consume. And that's sort of the opposite of social media. It's not deliberate. It's just like a fire hose. Yeah. <laughs> that's difficult for me. There's a lot more talented and thoughtful academics looking at the impacts of social media on our society. I just see it in travel a little bit. And it's hard for me. But yeah, there are silver linings, as you point out. Do you like traveling with a, with a cell phone? How do you use it when you're traveling, when you're abroad? Oh, I mean, mostly just to communicate with other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, not like the world at large. I mean, I mean, to figure out where my friend is. Totally. And also to record sounds. I do that a lot, actually. If I don't have a microphone or anything, but I'm in some cool church and there's some weird ambient sound that's happening, I'll often record it because I find that the sounds can bring back the memory just as good as a picture can, if not better. Absolutely. I'm actually sort of notorious for forgetting to take pictures. <laughs> but you don't forget to take sounds, so you bring that to the table, right? Right, right. I guess. I mean, and it's not that I don't like p taking pictures. It's just, um, I don't know, I really try, especially after living in that year abroad in Rome, I really try to absorb the moment first and not worry about documenting it. Yeah, I feel very strongly about that. And I'm a, somebody who's passionate about documentation. I've made a career. I think documentary film and photography are beautiful mediums, but they have their limits. We can't be doing that. We need to be looking for the, the pure experiences in and of themselves. That's how I'm going to navigate the world anyway. I don't want to tell other people how to how to act, what to prioritize. But to me, yeah, uh, oftentimes the cell phone ends, ends up more of a distraction than anything else. But you, you bring up two great reasons to have a smartphone in your pocket, recording sounds. What a great tool for that. And also, yeah, oh my gosh, hey, sweetie, I'm running 20 minutes late. Can we shift the time that's like that wasn't possible 10 years ago yeah, I know. they were waiting they were pissed at you because you're running late and so uh, <laughs> that's right in this way it's a that's a great change yeah that is a good change well since you mentioned endless earth i'm one of the lucky few that have gotten to see it ahead of time and you can certainly describe it better but i found it to be 
two things for me just as a viewer. One, it's basically these small movies made by filmmakers all over the world, and it takes you from one location to another. That's I'll let you more eloquently describe it, but it takes you from Lebanon, say, to Beijing, and then over to Thailand, and all sorts of different locations, oftentimes in about four or five minutes. And I thought watching it that it really felt like, one, I was getting to travel because I was getting to see normal, everyday scenes in places I had never been. Because it's not like they necessarily have a plot. It's just sort of like the mood of what is it like to be there. But I also felt like it was sort of a review where you could look at Morocco or say nothing against Morocco. I'm just throwing it out as an example. But you could look at the video of Morocco and think, oh, okay, that doesn't look like a priority for me. Like that's not the vibe I'm I'm going for right now. Exactly. And I just threw that out. I don't even know if you have a video on Morocco. We totally do. And, you know, it's beautiful, but there's also a lot of time in the desert Mm -hmm. where, yeah, that's not going to work. I don't want to ride a camel. That's not for me. So I, I think it's great that you sort of highlighted that aspect of it. Yeah. So what, what was the thought behind making it, though? It's, it's a lot of things. It's mostly my love of travel and, and seeing this sort of art form about travel films like those that we're showing on Endless Earth. That sort of art form, I feel like, has evolved over, over the last six or eight years. And we're seeing there's sort of a, another effect of this sort of social media and you know technology in, in the hands of all kinds of people. That's great. You know, there's a lot of amazing young filmmakers that are creating beautiful films, impressionistic work in all different fields. And I saw this emerging in the, in the travel space and these incredibly beautiful, authentic films that sort of, again, as you uh, touched on, give you a sense of, of what it's like to actually travel there. You know, we're all aware how film and video can sometimes do that. But these films that we're working with, I feel like, and give you an authentic viewpoint of what moving around in that country or region might be like. So I fell in love with that art form and realized these films aren't being seen anywhere. Some of them have huge hit numbers because people love watching them and social media feeds and whatnot. But there was no place that I could go to watch films about travel. I could tune into the Travel Channel, but we all know that that's mostly reality shows now and Uh, They don't really run this kind of authentic programming. It's hosted kind of, you know, fake uh, for the most part. There's a few great programs, big Anthony Bourdain fan. But, you know, generally speaking, those aren't the types of travel programs that I'm interested in watching. I want to see what it's like on the ground and have it and get a real sense of what it's like to travel in these landscapes. The opportunity maybe is, uh, is synthesizing them into one place and seeing if it resonates with audiences out there through the magic of streaming media. I have a a partner, a a coder, a software engineer who uh, is helping to write the code for the different platforms. Right now, Endless Earth is available on iOS and Android and also Roku and Amazon Fire Stick. We want our users, ideally, to watch on their Roku or Amazon Fire if they happen to watch connected TV. If they're watching Netflix on their television, that's where we want to be. And so the software is available and you can launch it and, and watch travel film after travel film. We'll see if it resonates with viewers. I love the films and, and we'll see if, if people show up in real numbers. Yeah, well, what I've watched so far, I really like. Or EndlessEarth.com for those of you who are, you know, streamers on on your computer. Exactly. I, it gets you dreaming about travel after yes. the pandemic. But do you have a theory of what travel is going to actually look like? Uh, good question. Hard to answer, but I mean, you could at least answer of what it might look like for you if you don't have a bigger theory. Right, right. Well, I'm incredibly excited to have just booked a just a domestic trip that would kind of be like uh, maybe a little ho-hum two years ago, but now it feels like it's just going to be amazing. I'm going to drive with my sweetie for two weeks through the American South 
She bought an old uh, 74 Mercedes from her brother, and we're going to drive, <laughs> drive about 1,500 miles through the south, and then we're going to put her on a truck and, and fly home. I'm actually crossing off states number 49 and 50 on mm. the states, West Virginia and Kentucky. I don't know how travel is going to look different. Obviously, it's going to come back a little bit slowly. Well, because even as you road trip across the South, it's possible that not much will be open. Yeah, you, yeah. You never know. Yeah, exactly. We're going to have some some challenges with COVID. But I think maybe there'll be fewer than if we were to travel abroad, which is why we're kind of going slower. You know, I, I feel like uh, mm -hmm. this that's a good kind of intermediate trip. And then, yeah, we're going to go do something abroad in the fall in a destination that is a little bit more uh, exciting. Let's hopefully, I don't know exactly what that looks like. But yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, the travel industry is huge and so many places have been affected so deeply by this pandemic. I mean, just think about all the just operators in Nepal and Morocco and all these places, small travel companies, their entire businesses disappeared over the last year and a half. And so it's going to be tough for those to come back and it's going to happen slowly, probably domestically first. I'm a little bit nervous that it's not going to sort of come back in the in the same large scale and diverse opportunities that were there just because the business opportunities are, are harder. But I don't I don't know how that's going to play out exactly. Do you have any theories? What do you think is going to happen? Well, I mean, I, I always have more questions than theories, Riley. But I mean, I think there's also the bigger question of if it should come back, how it was going prior. Yeah. We've talked a lot about on this show about people feeling like they have to see certain things if they go certain places. Right. Whether or not they have an interest in the Vatican, they feel like they must go to the Vatican if they're in Rome. Otherwise, they didn't do Rome properly. Right. I mean, I don't know that this pause in travel will change that, but maybe it will. Maybe it will think, make it more precious and you'll think, well, what do I actually want to be doing with my time? I do think that that's likely. I think that there's a good chance that a, a percentage of travelers will be a little bit more thoughtful and deliberate about things like this. I don't know for sure, but that seems like a likely outcome uh, just because of, yeah, travel is going to be increasingly sort of special, man, or maybe it's really special in 2021 because none of us have done it, but um, let's really go to those places we, we want to go and have the experiences we want. I, I like your theory. It'll be interesting to see. Can we come back in one year and, and see how it works out? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I mean, you also were, it's sort of this question of mass travel versus small travel. That's another big question is, are the cruise ships going to come back? You know, is that kind of thing going to be a thing again or not? You know, and should it come back? Great question. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, in my opinion, I've been on two cruises that were also music festivals and they were fantastic. But I would also be OK if they disappeared entirely. They're terrible for the environment. And in my opinion, not the kind of travel experience I want to have. Now, there's plenty of older folks, my parents included, who love cruises. But gosh, with the sort of awareness that we all have about not just COVID-19, but just the, the transmissible nature of, I just think we're in a new reality of, of, of people's fear uh, around shared space. And I think the cruise industry is actually going to get hurt. I don't think it'll disappear entirely, but I would not be surprised to see a, yeah, a 20 to 30 or even bigger percentage hit in the coming years, just because I think fewer people want to do that in the wake of this pandemic, and certainly in the first year or two. Well, that's what I was going to ask you too, actually, was, is there any way that this pandemic has made you more of a wary traveler than you would have been prior? Uh, in general, no, but yeah, certainly more wary. You know, I've just spent the last year, as all of us have, just been increasingly conscious of other people and their proximity and the, the potential danger they pose to me. And so, 
yeah, I think um, I might be less inclined to spend, you know, hours and hours in a sweaty bar for an uncertain return. You know, is the, is the band that's, that we're waiting for going to be any good? Maybe I'm less inclined to, to find out in the future. I'm going to get out of here. This is not a comfortable environment for me. So I think for me, there will be subtle shifts like that just because of how my behavior has changed. But, you know, I'm half vaccinated now. I, I'll be interested to see if that's completely gone in six months. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I have been aware that, you know, I like to go to the ski hill this winter at Mountain Baker. Everybody has been, they've been really good about being masked, but it sort of freaks me out to be in any kind of lift line because all of a sudden there's 50 people in proximity to me that haven't been there. I can rationalize it. This is pretty safe. We're outside. Everybody's wearing masks. But I think my brain has shifted a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I think another thing that we all knew intellectually when it comes to the travel industry, but it certainly has been highlighted is inequality and the ability to travel. And that is something I just have also big questions about is what is fair when it comes to travel? Great question. Is equity a something we should really be talking about in travel, like, like you are in almost every other industry, you know, yeah, making films, you know, doing production work for the last 20 years that it's really been fascinating to see that discussion really come to the forthright around, you know, Oscars so white and female filmmakers now, like, Last few years, we've just seen a lot of energy around the equity question, which is fantastic. It, it's great. But travel is somehow different. I mean, it's almost it is a privilege, of course, and, and people that have money uh, and time off are more able to participate in it and certainly travel abroad and have more. Um, yeah, just sort of involved experiences. And it's always been that way. And so to that end. I'm not sure if we can take an equity lens on travel in the same way that you can with other industries because it's sort of equity problems are built into it from the very beginning. Now, that's not to say that travel has to be expensive. You and I are all are both aware that uh, you don't have to have much money uh, to travel and you can do amazing, authentic experiences for very little money. And I hope that people with less ability do that, you know, take road trips, camping trips. I mean, yeah, um, but I don't know how, what the travel industry can can do or even should do about this? It's a fascinating question that I'm ashamed to say that I haven't really thought about too much. Well, as a person who's done lots of cheap travel, do you have any, you could give us a few tips if you want? I mean, to me, backpacking in the mountains is the best way to travel cheaply. It's free. It just takes a tank of gas to get there. That's that's my favorite form of cheap travel. I also do that abroad. I love backpacking uh, through the Alps, for example. They, one amazing thing about the Alps uh, is there's lodges, there's refuges. Every few miles in the special mountains. And so while we have incredible wilderness here in the Western US, and I wouldn't trade that for anything, it's a really cool experience to, yeah, just have a day pack in the Alps, go walk all day and, oh, here I am at a refuge and I can pay 30 bucks for a meal and a dorm bed and uh, and then be on my way to the next one. That's an amazing experience that is uh, relatively budget oriented. There's not much to spend your money on when you're walking through the mountains. You know, obviously Southeast Asia is incredibly cheap, although less than it was 20 years ago. I feel like yeah, there were there were re- 20 years ago there were regions of the world, Southeast Asia maybe highest among them, where you could travel dirt cheap, and it's not quite that way anymore in Thailand, Cambodia. It's cheaper, but maybe more equivalent to Central America or even parts of Europe. So it's interesting that change and that that part of equity travel. You know, I used to tell every 22 year old, oh, you've only got 1,200 bucks in two months. Well, you'll be fine in Thailand. I'm not sure that's the case anymore. So that's. If you look at it through a global economic lens, it's great that, you know, the standard of living in Thailand is raised, you know, probably through the travel industry to to the point where it's not as cheap. 
So, you know, you can look at it as a good lens, but yeah, harder for the dirtbag traveler. Yeah. So what's the future for you um, filmmaking wise? Obviously, you've got to get this Endless Earth launched, but yeah, you I'm have... focusing on that. Yeah. But I'm also I, I want to continue making documentaries. I'm really most interested, honestly, these days in story, local stories that I can kind of follow over the course of a year or two, but ones that have international impact. I probably shouldn't go into um the, the ideas I have about specific documentaries, but there are a couple of things in the works that I hope to be producing in the coming year or two. But, you know, to talk about them publicly at the stage would be premature, I'm sorry to say. Yes, yes. It's just <laughs> like if you're in the middle of writing a story, don't tell someone the entire plot. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ruins your steam. Well, you know, if you need to cover a really scrappy independent startup podcast that's international, uh, you know, I'm here for Absolutely. It. <laughs> What's the hook on the documentary? I like this. Okay, we, these two amazing old friends are battling against the economic forces to keep producing a podcast seven years in the making. Hmm, I like this. That's right. Log line. That's right. Against all odds and against any, you know, real plan. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Finding their way. <laughs> Those are my favorite kind of travels, honestly, where you go in with very little planned and you find your path, you know, follow your nose. There is something really beautiful about that. Elegant, I think that the results are often more satisfying. So I hope that continues to be the case with your podcast. Yes, and with your work as well. Well, Endless Earth is the name of your new project. And we'll put a link in the show notes. But do you want to remind people where they can find it? EndlessEarth.com is the best place to, you know, you'll get links to the Roku and iOS and Amazon. But yeah, if you're on your iPhone, just search for it in the App Store, Endless Earth. And uh, it's a free download. You can check it out in three seconds. And if you don't like it, move on. <laughs> but I think you're going to love the films. They're really, again, authentically produced, visually beautiful, immersive films. And I think if you spend three minutes in a given place, you'll have a better understanding of what it's like to be in Cuba or Taiwan or Myanmar or uh, Morocco, uh, Nepal. All these countries uh, are films that we're running right now on Endless Earth. Hope you guys have a chance to check it out. Yeah. And if you find yourself in a place that you don't like, you just fast forward to the next one. Exactly. Easy as can be. So really, you know, I'm, I'm kind of describing it as much as a film festival. It's more than Netflix. In other words, you know, like there's no menu. You're presented with a, a film. And if you don't like it, fast forward. But otherwise, you're not going to waste any time deciding what to watch. You're just going to be we're going to present it to you and, and hopefully you like it. And if not, again, move on to the next. Yeah, you're just going to be dropped straight into Cuba. <laughs> well, thanks, Riley, for joining me today. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. Riley Morton, a freelance documentary producer, cinematographer, and the man behind Endless Earth. I'm Katie Sewell. Thanks so much for joining us. This is The Bittersweet Life. Talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Please share the show. Tell your friends and family about this great discovery that you've made. And if you own a business, consider sponsoring the show. Sponsoring is a great way to reach an educated and diverse group of wonderful people living all over the United States and the world. Send us a note at bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. That's bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or visit the contact us page at thebittersweetlife.net.